0: Like d fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into
1: the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable.
0: I'm attacking the darkness.
2: <laughs>
3: Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk.
2: Yeah, you are.
3: Are there any girls there? Yeah.
2: Anyone can play.
1: I don't really know the rules.
2: <laughs> Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination.
1: Oh, okay.
2: This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know
3: what any of this stuff means. I'll help you.
2: I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes.
1: Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Welcome to episode 7 of DCRPG, the Hero Points podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Game Master Siskoid. And I'm the irredeemable player, Shag. Coming to you uh, for one of maybe three episodes we'll do this year.
0: Yeah, we, we, we said we're going to be kind of a quarterly or semi-annual sort of show, and that's fine. Now, just to remind you, this is a Hero Points podcast dedicated to DC role-playing games. We sort of live in the Mayfair game for the most part, but we dip in and out to other systems from time to time. And one of our mission statements, really, of the podcast is, is more of a nostalgia flair, you know? We don't go real deep in the technical. We don't get real crunchy with uh, the game mechanics. That's not really where we want to live. Uh, this is more intended for the lapsed gamer, someone who used to game, or, or someone who maybe who's gaming today but doesn't, again, not looking for the crunch. And um, we're going to really spoil the crap out of this thing. We're going we're to, what we're about to talk about, we're going to tell you all the details, nitty gritty. So if you don't want to play this particular thing, then you should probably turn off the podcast and come back.
1: Yeah, this is an episode that we've hinted at often, and I think it's uh, very special to both of us. The topic, don't ask. Why not? It's the name of the module. Right. That's
0: that's what we're talking about. What's the name of the module? Don't ask. Well, if I can't ask you, who can I ask?
1: Who? Just just tell me who. Who? No, that's another podcast.
0: What the
1: No, that that's a Marvel funny comic from the 1990s.
0: What is?
1: No, what the Huh? Oh, all right. All right. How about this? What if you just
0: tell me the name of the module? Ah, uh, what if? Well, that's a great comic. What the No, that's the other one. I'm so confused. I have completely lost track of the question. Well, that's the Steve Ditko character. You know what? Never mind. Just never mind. Just tell me the name of the friggin' module. Don't ask. These are like the worst Fight Club rules ever. Just listen, Abbott. Forget the name, all right? Just tell the listeners at home about the module,
1: okay? Yes, Don't Ask is an ambush bug comedy adventure scenario for DC Heroes First Edition. Uh, It's by Scott Jenkins. And Shag... Uh, you love ambush bug at least as much as I do. So for the listeners, don't ask is the name of the module and, uh, <laughs> and who is Irwin Schwab and what's your history with the character Shag? Who is Erwin
0: Schwab? Well, he's the schlub who got this costume that <laughs> lets him be a pain in the ass to everyone. Um, if they've gotten this far, they probably know. He's basically, he, he's Deadpool before there was a Deadpool. He's the DC version of that. He lives in the DC comics, specifically in the 1980s for the most part. And he is fully well aware he's in a comic book. He knows he's not part of you know the real world. He knows he's in a comic book. He talks to the audience. The comic books are often... Uh, bewildering. The, the people behind her, Keith Giffen and Robert Lauren Fleming. So if that tells you anything, you know that's already a little bit of insanity. M- my own personal history with the character: those I found him, and I can't remember whether it was the first miniseries or the second miniseries. But uh, I, I bought that miniseries, whichever one I was probably "Son of Ambushbug." The second one, and absolutely fell in love because I would have been like 14 years old, and Ambushbug is exactly the right kind of comic for a 14-year-old because it's hilarious, it's bizarre, comics aren't like this. You, you really, and to steal a joke from a Deadpool review, you really need to be about 20 to understand all the jokes, but you really need to be about 14 years old to appreciate the jokes, if you understand <laughs> my meaning there.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of references that were kind of that remain opaque to me today.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I bought all those. I, I bought the, those series. I got really into the character every, you know, ambush bug, nothing special. You know, whenever he showed up, I thought it was hysterical. I loved it. And then, you know, when he came back in the new 52, or right before the new 52 with Doom Patrol, and then he came back in the new 52, he was in those, those little newsroom back up. Basically it was the DC, uh, house ad type page. So. Yeah. Absolutely love the character. He's one of my favorites. What about you? What's your history of the character?
1: It starts earlier and is more seminal, I think, to my comic book experience because the very first comic book, I've told this story often enough, but the first comic book I ever bought with my own money was DC Comics Presents number 59, Superman and the Legion of Substitute Heroes with Ambushbug as the villain or the antagonist. Yep. So this is my first American comic, more or less. I fell in love with it, fell in love with the medium or with the genre at that point, and it's a humor comic, even though Ambush Bugs is a bit is more villainous, let's say, at that point, or an anarchist. And uh, I went on to try to find every single appearance by the character from then on, and uh, mostly have. So even when he's just like a little cameo, I want that comic, you know. <laughs> and this is how I got Don't Ask. Because uh, in um, the late, very late '80s, there was a the first time a gaming shop slash comic book shop opened on the other side of the border in Maine, and uh, it was just like a drive away. We went to check it out. They had comics, they had uh, role playing games, and we started going there semi regularly before I moved to a larger town. Finally, and had access to all this stuff. Uh, but Don't Ask was there. Hmm. And this was the very first DC Heroes RPG product I ever bought. Oh wow. And it made me then buy the core rules because I wanted to be able to play this thing, which I never have, but <laughs> but it, you know, to, or even understand what the rules were, were talking about. Uh, so I'd read this cover to cover as if it were another Ambush Bug adventure. Ambush Bug is one of the reasons I read American comics, and Ambush Bug is the reason I played, uh, DC Heroes.
0: Man, that is amazing. He's really in your DNA. That's amazing. Wow. I, I, since you mentioned cameos, I gotta mention this one. Inside the actual module itself, uh, they always used to have this insert where you could order more role playing games or you could actually subscribe to comics. There's a DC house ad. Um, that also appeared in comics where you could subscribe to the DC comics. And in there it's got your Superman and Hawkman and Green Lantern and all your major characters ambush bug made it into this thing i didn't i don't think this is a special one they printed up just for this book i think he was must have been in the original one it's it, it's ambush bug in that ridiculous like superhero superman kind of costume but he's in the he's in the house ad which cracks me up yeah from
1: ambush bug number one the yep. first mini series exactly we're gonna get into it but Ambushbug is you know remains one of my favorite characters ever i guess even though like you said i'm not sure i understood all the jokes mm-hmm. and i think this module because it was more of a not just meta text, like the character knows he's in a comic, which is a lot of what Deadpool does. It's, you know, he cracks wise and he knows he's in a comic or in a movie or whatever. Right. Uh, and that's, that's funny, but Ambush Bug was a little more insane, even weird parodies or sometimes just completely random elements. Uh, and I think the module captures that this adventure has moments where this isn't a, either a comic book parody or a metatextual reference, or it's just like this random thing all yeah. of a sudden. I think Ambushbug had a lot of that. Well, I think some of the, the metatextual stuff, too. I mean, like he goes beyond Deadpool, where he would
0: actually pop out of the comic and go to the real world and go to like the DC Comics offices in the comic, or he would turn to the camera and complain about Keith Giffen, the writer. I mean, he, he went above and beyond just saying, realizing he was talking to the audience. He interacted with the audience as almost a fellow comic reader. It was really fascinating. Now, yeah. did I do the... I don't know if I did my description of him justice. I mean, again, comparing to Deadpool is the easiest way, just because Deadpool's so recognizable. But he was much quirkier. I mean, he's not a murderer. He doesn't go kill people. He's just a guy who's trying to get through life, and he sees everything. He's It's almost like a mix between Deadpool and the Tick, really. Because, you mm. know, the Tick is delusional, the way he sees the world. And in some regard, Ambush Bug is, too. Like, his relationship with Cheeks the Toy Wonder, his sidekick. You know, he believes Cheeks is a real little boy in his son who's raising him and is his sidekick who fights
1: crime with him. In reality, he's just a doll. You know, it it was the sort of... I mean, he answered his own letters page. He had a relationship with DC's editors. Even the later, there was like a, a Year None or whatever. Is that what it's called? The six I, th- issue? I think it's
0: called Year None. The six-issue series? You sure about that? It was a six-issue series. The sixth issue never came out. So they published an issue seven instead. And issue seven was all about why issue six never came out. It's Quite hysterical.
1: Yeah, and he has a relationship with Dan DiDio in that. Yes. Uh, in the same way that he had a relationship with Julia Schwartz in the original, in the 80s. Yep. Uh, you know, these are characters, and, like, Julia Schwartz was the villain of the nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> and So Ambushbug lives in this sort of semi, in, sort of in the limbo that Grant Morrison set up in Animal Man, or whatever, you know, with mm-hmm. all the really lame characters, and they kind of know th- they're they're in a comic, and that they're... Now, neglected characters, he lives in that, that world, in that space where, <laughs> where, where characters know they're in a comic. It's delightful and it's pure comics and it's very hard sometimes to, it's not the kind of series that you would necessarily lend a friend and say, oh, check this out. And they would be completely confused. But for a comics reader. It, it's sort of like,
0: as we go through this, we're going to describe this, uh, adventure in, in, in the ways that you would really describe a comic more so rather than getting into the... the crunchiness again. But a long time ago, when we did an early episode of this show, you described listening to other people's role-playing adventures. Like if someone wanted to talk your ear off and talk to you about listening to their character and their adventures, it's usually very confusing. And you said it's almost like trying to describe a dream to someone else. The person who's describing it has a vivid understanding. The person who's receiving the information is like, what are you talking about? And that's how I think it would be if I ever tried to describe a, an ambush bug comic book to somebody. And they'd be like, yeah. what are you saying? So it, it's you got to go find this thing to really experience it. And, and hats off to Scott Jenkins. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is not a Keith Giffen product, uh, or uh, but it sure feels like one, doesn't it? It feels like a legitimate yeah. ambush bug adventure. I mean, it, it fits right in.
1: I, I'm very impressed. Even the stuff that is... Uh, You know, in the ambush bug comics, you would often have you know. There's no real narrative pace because they're telling a story, and then you'd have like these random fake ads. Right. The the adventure doesn't really do that, not really, but it does have, as we'll see, a a a fanzine Mm -hmm. attached which has that same kind of feel where, we'll oh, there's some letters, some ads, some extra jokes, basically. And the module reads like that, where there will be jokes, offhand jokes, for the Game Master. I mean, basically, because the Game Master is the one reading it. yep. Uh, and some of this stuff won't make it to the table. But uh, it reads like Keith Giffen and uh, Robert Lauren Fleming... Wrote an adventure module. He gets the voice very well. They could still adapt this as a comic. It would, it would still work. You just yeah. change a couple of the characters. You call it Ambush Bug takes over everything special, basically. But you could call it Don't Ask the Comic, which makes no sense. But uh, that's that's Ambush Bug. Uh, so let's look at this thing. Cover and art. Just start at the top because the cover is actually a Keith Giffen piece. Woohoo! So Ambush Bug is on is in his office, uh, and on his desk are some. Characters dancing the can-can, uh, <laughs> essentially the characters from the book. So you've got um, Lex Luthor, Johnny DC, uh, Your Own Heroes, which was blank characters mm-hmm. uh, with Your Own Heroes written on their chests. The Phantom Stranger dancing, that's always nice. And uh, Cheeks sort of being swung around. What do you think of this cover?
0: I absolutely love it. I think it's hysterical. You know, Ambush Bug has like a, an expression of oh, "oh my gosh" kind of look. You know, he's got his hand up against his cheek. He's got his hand like giving up, like like he's giving up. Like this is just crazy. And I think it's hysterical. There's a lot of little fun things. Like in the background, there's a calendar, and it actually, uh, if you look at it closely enough, you realize it's circled April 1st. So it's almost like mm. an April Fool's Day joke, which is great. The bit with your own heroes, I can't stop laughing about that. It's three white silhouettes. And it says, your own heroes. I need you the characters. And because that's kind of the idea is you want, you can play your own characters in this one. That's brilliant. It's hysterical. It cracks me up. I, I laugh every single time. Now, it's also worth mentioning, because there's a lot of interior art in here that is pulled from previous Ambushbug comics. This was published in 1986. And really looking at this and reading what I – because these really exact release dates never come out with these RPGs. But nearest I can tell, I think it's after the first miniseries, but probably before the second miniseries.
1: Well, I think there are some elements, some mentions, references to Son of Ambushbug. Is it really? Oh, okay. It feels like, well, it feels like it, especially the origin story that's told, his background, is from Son of Ambushbug, <laughs> I think.
0: Okay. I think. It's been a long time since I've read those. It's, what, After Crisis? In fact, this Lex Luthor, and we'll talk more about that, this is the Lex Luthor, like, 15 seconds before Man of Steel is published. Because Man of Steel comes out this same year and changes Lex Luthor forever, because this is still the mad scientist Lex Luthor with the power armor. Yeah, but it's Ambush Bug,
1: so it's all possible. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you could say, well, maybe the crisis was caused by Ambush Bug, as we'll see in this. Yeah, he's just uh, he's punching reality walls. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now uh, we should mention also, interior art is covered by Rob Davis.
1: There are some original pieces with uh, Ambush Bug in there. The, the the one where he's on top of the Yaha Tower and. So he, he got to do a little, you know, a few pieces that are specific to this story.
0: But there is a lot of art that they pulled from previous ambush book issues, oh, yeah. though, too. Definitely.
1: It's <laughs> mostly that. This is a two-toned book so you got the one color uh spot inside so, so you got that ambush but green lime green so it's all black and white plus that green uh and sometimes it's uh it makes the page kind of difficult to read when they surprint it there's one page in there that's there's a lot of you know green detail in the background and it makes that text a lot harder
0: to, to read. Yikes! Yeah, I love kind of the acid green though. I mean, it's just that, that color screams '90s to me. Oh, I see the page you're talking about. Page 23, where they use the
1: the DC building as a background.
0: Yeah, okay, that's a little hard to read.
1: Oh, yeah, geez. that's it's the only one that's really problematic. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, let's get inside the book itself. Yeah. So, of course, you've got your synopsis, which we'll be using to tell the story later, uh, and uh, the stats for all the characters that appear, of course, which we'll get to in the course of the adventure. And then there are new powers... And this
0: was very common in adventures and source books and stuff because, you know, the, the core game comes out, right? And the only way to grow the game without releasing another edition is put it in your supplements. So here they've given us two new powers. The first one is called Dumb Luck. And I'm assuming Cisco had asked me to cover to this one because it starts with dumb. And uh, the, the first thing that jumps <laughs> out at me about Dumb Luck is the cost Now, I'm going to get into a little bit of crunch. Not much here, folks. But this is extremely expensive. It has a base cost of 60 points. Now, that might be meaningless to you if you've never played the game. But to put it in perspective for you, the single most expensive power in the original set of rules, because this is still first edition, was uh, Force Manipulation, which was at 50 points. So this is even more expensive than Force Manipulation, the most powerful power. And Force Manipulation is basically what Green Lantern has when you can create anything, you know, green energy spheres of anything or shapes or whatever. That's that power. So this costs more than that. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, and the way it works is, it obviously, it makes you lucky. And the way that works is you, you, you roll on this power, and it gives you extra bonuses on future rolls. Specifically, you roll against your mystical stats. And the success in RAPs, that's a term that's used in the game a lot, meaning your results. The success in these RAPs are the number of column shifts you get to use in your favor in the next attack or resistance roll. Basically, what it means is your character then gets an advantage on their next roll which is great, right? And you can even, like, stack this stuff. You can use your dumb luck power bonuses to help subsequent dumb luck power rolls. So you end up accumulating these extra column shifts and bonuses for yourself to build a really, 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 really lucky roll. It can backfire on you if it all goes wrong. So if you fail the dumb luck roll, then all these column shifts that you've accumulated suddenly are used against you. So that's the risk of it. And also they, they do tell you that if you fall flat on your face, you don't want to be standing around someone who uh, in that situation, because bad things are going to happen.
1: We might think of Domino or the Black Cat, for example.
0: Yeah. I was thinking like, uh, Luke Skywalker, and now it's not dumb luck, that's <laughs> the force, but Luke Skywalker shooting
1: the, uh, you know, down the, the first Death Star. That's, that's pretty darn lucky. Yeah, that might be a way to model that power, yeah. And Ambushbug has it, because he's sort of a Looney Tunes kind of character yeah. as well. He's got dumb luck, which can turn into bad, you know, dumb bad luck. The other power is Reality Check, which, More than anything, I I think maybe made me fell in love with the game, (laughs) the reality check. The idea that they would model reality check. Because reality check, when you're reading a comic, obviously Ambushbug knows he's in a comic, he's succeeded in doing his reality check, check, you know? Mm -hmm. It goes back to things like Superman winking at the audience at the end of a a story. (laughs) You know, Clark Kent turns around or Superman turns around and wink at the audience. You know, Superman has so many hero points, he can just blow them on. <laughs> on, on, on a on reality check, yeah, on a wink for fun. Uh but it's it's that idea. So in the game, what it means is that you sort of attack the um game master <laughs> with your power to get an answer as to what's going on. So it's basically your character can break that fourth wall and say, is this real? Is this a dream? Is this imaginary? Is this are you uh, screwing with us and get an answer. The amusing things here are that the O V and R V the numbers you're rolling against uh, are the GM's age, which is uh eesh. <laughs> I just <gotta laughs> say that's that's gonna be an impossible one. And then the game master can still not answer by spending some more hero points to boost his numbers. Say you've got, I don't know, a five-year-old game master who needs to boost his thing. He can use the money in his pocket to simulate hero points. So they just use real-world elements So if you break the fourth wall, but then you sort of have to attack something that's in the real world as well. I'm not sure I would use these exactly because I think that's a bit unfair. I've gotten too old as a game master to think this is fair.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think the game was designed for people in their mid-40s to play. I think it was, they're expecting 15-year-olds <laughs> to play this game.
1: <laughs> but this is the kind of power I love. The, the idea that, okay, this is going to be a comedy module, this isn't uh, like straight superheroes. There are powers, and uh, as we've talked about before when we covered the Justice League Source book, the shouting power that MangaCon has. Right. He makes a big soliloquy, and everybody has to stop and listen because <laughs> he's got the shouting power. The comedy powers, I think, lend a lot of flavor to a game when you're trying to do something in a different tone. So this is stuff that goes with that tone, and I appreciate it a lot. And when I saw this, I thought, well, this is not your ordinary game. Mayfair is willing to publish this thing, this weird oddball adventure in a different tone, and really go for it. And that told me this is a game for me. You know, <laughs> so as much as anything, that reality check is in here, made me fall in love with DCH even before I ever saw the rules. You bought this adventure, your first one. You
0: still never run it to this day. No. Interesting. Uh do you have plans to run it in the near future?
1: Um no. But- <laughs> Not really. The problem was always that, you know, it's the kind of thing that you don't want to start with this. You want to set things up and then eventually it becomes this real change of pace. Oh, yeah. But somehow I never got to that. I I mean, I got to that point. I played DCH a lot and with the same people a lot. But it just never materialized where I said, oh, this is the next one in the pipeline. Interesting. Okay. I've never
0: gamed it either. Uh, and I'll be honest, I never read it cover to cover until getting ready for this episode. I would certainly i have owned it for ages. I flipped through it a bunch. I would reference it. I'd, I'd look at it and go, oh, that's funny, whatever. But I never said I actually read it cover to cover until now. And it's, it's an absolute hoot.
3: Where am I? This isn't Albuquerque. It's so dark in here. Almost no visuals. At least I made it out of the new 52 in one piece. Took an escape pod and cast out of there like the Flash running from a crisis. Wait, what were those voices? Oh no, I'm in a podcast, aren't I? That's a fate worse than meeting Superboy Prime. I gotta pop out of here before they go off topic.
1: And one of the things that they've added as well is the um, something they call role playing the bad guy. <laughs> I guess they had an extra page, right? And uh, they decided to give like write a little essay on what the villainous motivations mean. But they do add a nuance, which I think is interesting, uh, because they they separate them between in those who say bah and those who don't say bah, (laughs) basically. And the the real nuance is that when they talk about nihilists, nihilists means you want to destroy the universe. Thanos, you know, kind of, well, Thanos from the comics, anyway. Uh, Here they say, well, you could be a semi-nihilist. Because most villains that are Nihilists are actually semi-Nihilists, which is to say that they don't really want to destroy everything in themselves with it, but they just have a destructive impulse.
0: Well, it's quite funny. And and like you said, the semi-Nihilist makes a lot of sense because it talks about how they're sadistic, how they want to blow up everything, but they want someone to feel the suffering for it. You know, that's part of that thing. And and it's it's great, though. Under the category of those who say bah, you get the Nihilist, the semi-Nihilist, the power-lusting villain, the psychopath, and sheep. Because sheep say bah. <laughs> <laughs> Those who don't say ba are your mercenary and your thrill seekers.
1: It sends up each of these villains yeah. and makes fun of each type. So, th- this is really sets the tone for the adventure itself, even through the introductory notes. There are, there are jokes. This is a fun read, even if you. Don't want to play the game, <laughs> don't intend to run it or intend to run any DCH game. If you're a fan of Ambush Bug, you kind of want to find this thing. Yeah, Shank. Let's talk about the fan mag. Okay, entertainment for game fans, and it's <laughs> uh,
0: well, it's a staple in in the middle, and it's designed to be to sort of emulate the fanzines of the... Uh, oh, I just discovered something. Uh, it's designed to emulate the fanzines of the, the mid-80s. And this has a month, sir. September 1986 is what it says. So that is probably their target date of when they wanted this to be released. Okay, there we go. Sort of narrowed it down. If someone wanted to go out to Mike's Amazing World of Chicken and Waffles, they could look up and see... If, uh, when Son of Ambush Bug published to get sort of compare it. Anyway, uh, the idea here is you, you either t- pop this out of your module or you photocopy it and you let your players read it in advance of the game. That is to help them get ready for the game. It helps them get in sort of the jokey mood. There's actually a lot of clues in here about, that will help them in the adventure. It really, it serves as an introduction. And, uh, there's, there's mentions of something called Ambush Bug Squadron. You'll hear more about that later. There's a, there's a fake letters page which even includes a letter from T.M. Major which is a famous uh, letter hack back in the day. There's an interview sort of done in the style of a Playboy interview. There's the origin of Ambush Bug. Yes. Well, there's a note for you to talk here, sir. Oh, so I'm trying I'm to follow along with the script. You know, I'm uh. breaking the fourth wall here. I'm saying there's a script <laughs> that we're supposed to follow and you need to put your part in here. Could you get with the program, Julie Schwartz? I mean, Ciscoid.
1: This is like the whole story since his first appearance in DC Comics Presents with the Doom Patrol in it. And uh, it seems like the, there's a murder That was on the books uh, in his first appearance, that it's it's been sort of expunged. (laughs) He only killed him in fun, and we never saw the body, you know? Right, right. (laughs) We never saw the body. So, uh, because after that, Ambushbug is, you know, he becomes a sort of anti-hero in the comics, and nobody ever calls him out on that murder. So, I guess the murder never happened. It's just an assault.
0: Yeah, well, it's you know it's it's a funny book. This is what it boils down to. So you just forget stuff, you move on for the joke. There's fake ads in here. There's you know there's a there's a section called "How to Really Use This Book" because there's always a "How to Use This Book" section, and it even includes a piece by one of the ambush bug writers, Robert Lauren Fleming, which is the the quote unquote the real story, which is a lot of fun too. All right. It gives all these fictitious reasons of uh, how ambush bug came to be, and it's all a bunch of BS, but it's really funny, really well done. And um, and reading something by Robert Lauren Fleming really helps you appreciate how much in tone the rest of this thing is, that they they really did capture that spirit. And the implication is this fanzine's been going on for a long time, and that Ambushbug is like a huge, massive star. The whole world thinks Ambushbug is the greatest.
1: Yeah, because he gets to be guest editor in this issue. (laughs) (laughs) The Adventure. A spoiler warning, I guess, if we haven't warned you enough. This is going to be the story we'll just do it in three chunks, three acts, if you will. Uh, so let me get into uh, into character here, or not character. I'm not gonna. So <laughs> if, you're, if you're gonna get into character, what do, who do you envision Ambush bug sounds like? Yeah, I don't know. What does he sound like?
3: darn it, still here. As far as I can make out, there's this balding version of firestorm and a typewriter monkey drunk on firewater or something and talking about me. How rude! And it's not even the best me there is. But then, the 80s are a faraway dream, aren't they? Before Marv and George screwed everything up by inspiring Dan and Jeff to screw everything up again and again. (sighs) One last try to pop myself out of this thing.
1: Uh, I think he has like a a higher pitched voice. Yeah. You know what? Like a Three Stooges kind of voice?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that kind of... Well, maybe not that extreme, but yeah, that kind of... That kind of voice. He might be a Groucho Marx. He might be, uh, you know, but he's, he's from that school. He sounds like a cartoon character in some way. I mean, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately now, now, we know he's
0: appeared in some of the animated stuff. And, and Cisco and I talked about the people who voiced him before. Those don't really fit with who we see Ambushbug as. Um, I kind of picture him as the best as I can come up with is Charlie Day from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's got that really <laughs> high-pitched sort of like nails on a chalkboard kind of voice. But he's very whiny and very manic. You know, that that's kind
1: of that's the closest I can put to what I think Ambushbug would sound like. I like it. I think that's brilliant casting. He doesn't really have the the body type. He's not like the as thin as um, Ambush Bug is, but uh, he could play the role definitely. I think Ambush Bug would work better in
0: animation anyway.
1: All right, so uh, let's start with the setup, uh, and then we'll have our notes. So strange things are happening. Lex Luthor, arch villain and super genius, announces to the heroes that he's about to take control of time and space and there's nothing they can do about it. And suddenly, Ambushbug, idiot and hopeful hero, pops into the heroes' headquarters, babbling about the adventure that the heroes are about to experience. The weird thing is that he's talking about the battle in the past tense, as if it already happened. Ambush Bug vanishes and when the heroes try to find him again and ask him what he meant, he doesn't know what they're talking about. He psychoanalyzes them with a few s- sly questions to see if they're insane Ambush Bug or no. The heroes will have to deal with Luthor and they're on a tight schedule. They leave Ambush Bug and surrounded by a crowd of thousands, the heroes prepare to battle Luthor. Luthor's plan is to rule the world by gaining control of time. Ambush Bug worried about the sanity of the heroes and thus they Ability to fight pops in and stops luthor from obtaining the power the only way he knows how he takes the power himself then troubled by a few basic inconsistencies within the dc universe and the hero biz in general ambush bug decides to take the whole thing into his hands and straighten out the whole dc universe so that's how it starts he goes all parallax oh yeah yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it's zero hour That's right. So uh, this is our setup. I mean, you've got Luthor. He's a big villain.
0: Yep. This is right as Man of Steel's happening. So everything's changing for Luthor, but they're just using the version that, you know, the superpowers version, if you will, of Lex Luthor is kind of what you should envision.
1: In here, already we're seeing something that we don't see a whole lot of necessarily in games, which is uh, they suggest props. They supply some and then they suggest others. Uh, you've got, uh, Ambushbug's business card, which becomes a clue to the the next step. And that's included if you want to cut up your module. <laughs> um, but, or, you know, photocopy it. And, uh, they say, well, you might need a watch set to a certain time and a clock set to a certain time so that the time travel element becomes obvious. I, th- I thought that was clever. Yeah, I think doing that kind of stuff, and there's later you can use flashlights and, you know, they, they tell you you could actually bring things with you to just add to the mood and without having just the game master having to say it. I think is part of the breaking the fourth wall element of Ambush Bug. It's more immersive uh, because it's got, like, the clock in your gaming room actually is the clock in the headquarters of the superheroes that you're playing. Right. You know, just like playing around with how things are popping out of the game and into your actual life. Uh, is, is a fun bit. The whole reason this clock thing matters is because the clock on the wall is going to be three hours, uh, if I remember it, behind
0: the, the watch that you're wearing as the GM. So that you're, you're like, that's how, we, you, you sort of hinted at it there. There's some time travel going on here. You know, Ambushbug looks at his watch. He's like, no, it's this time. And you look on the wall, it's in a different time. It's just a very nice way to get that sense of building the story.
1: And also, like you said, breaking a little bit of the fourth wall, making it happen in the real world, too. There's tiny whiny business in here that's, you know, that a Doctor Who RPG player would be jealous of. <laughs> uh, it's, it gets really wonky. And, uh, you know, also the game has, uh, there's a way to introduce fan mag, not before the game, but in the game, if you don't mind just having them read it there or just to have it on the table, uh, which makes it suddenly important, I think. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not just to set the mood. There's There may be things in here that will help you in the game. I think it works better reading it
0: in advance, but having it available on the table. When we used to do a, a DC superhero game, now we were using the West End system at the time, but I, we used to, used to do a, a newspaper uh, every time, and it was usually only one or two pages, but there'd be several articles and ads and things like that, and it'd be physically printed, and I'd, I'd distribute it usually the day before or at the very beginning of the game session they would keep their copy with them because, sure enough, there was something in there that was going to be helpful during the adventure. So I would say I would, I would have somebody read this fan mag in advance but have it sitting there on the table.
1: That's how I think yeah, it should be done. That makes sense. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a great element to have as well to just, like, create a universe for the players mm-hmm. that they turn up in the newspapers and then you know, they, they see their mentions. I did a little bit of that but mostly created websites on the dark web it's not really the dark web, yeah. but <laughs> websites where my players could go in between games and see elements of in-world reference material.
0: You, you know, there's something we didn't mention at the top of this show. We probably should have. This module is designed for, well, one of the things they suggest is either you play established characters from DC Comics that have their own ongoing monthly comic book, or you play your own characters, but in this same scenario these characters are popular enough to have their own comic book in the DC universe. Probably fair enough to mention that. So they even suggest you could play Superman. You could play Batman, although I don't know how the points would work out with that, because it'd be crazy high points. But uh, they suggest you should
1: play characters popular enough to have their own comic book series. In this, there's the robots that Lex Luthor uses, the Groids. Uh, That's a nice puzzle encounter, I think. I mean, it's a battle, but they've got to figure out how to defeat the robots. Uh, because they are learning robots they they get better as they fight you yeah and the idea is you're supposed to switch the way the module is written
0: you're supposed to switch Groids with your other your teammates like let's say Siskoid and I are each fighting a Groid you know after a punch or two we're supposed to swap. And swap groids. Because what happens is when you do that, the groid, it sounds terrible to say out loud, they reset back to default programming. But if you just keep fighting the same one, they get better at fighting you. They're adapting to fighting you. They're like Borg. They get better and better and better and better at it. So the trick of the puzzle is for you to switch. It is a very clever idea to read about in a module such as we are doing. I think in a real live role-playing situation, I think this would be frustrating as hell. I don't know that it would work unless you really push them to figuring it out.
1: Yeah, I think you need... A hint you know the way you described it would have to uh, and they don 't really tell you how to do that, but the way you describe it would have to hint at the how or the way they're blocking your stuff i don 't know, but you're completely right. I think most of the players i've had would have not have you know gotten it there is a way,
0: and i 'm realizing it now in hindsight that you could get to this is that Ambush bug is actually there during the battle, and he's shouting out orders, telling the players what to do. And it's, his orders are specifically written to be wrong. <laughs> um, they've written it in such a way that everything he says will make your chances worse. So that, that's funny. But I realize now, as I'm thinking about it, you could actually use that to be the hint. You know, like having that and have the character realize Ambush Bug is a moron. <laughs> that Following his orders are a bad idea. Let's do the opposite. You could actually turn that into a game thing, which might get you to where you need to be with the Groids. Because otherwise, I... I don't know. I think it's a tough uphill battle that ain't going to get easier.
1: Uh, and of course you've got Lex Luthor's L I mean, <laughs> ship. the ship is shaped like an L, I like that. And I really like the, the assembled crowd selling t-shirts. <laughs> uh, you know, the t-shirts say I survived Lex Luthor's whatever. You know, I survived zero hour already, uh, kind of thing. So there's an element of fun that you don't see in, you know, in, in most modules right there. And that feels right out of an ambush bug
0: comic too. It really does.
1: Yeah, the, the public, and then if, and I mean, the, the game tells you if you if you make the mistake of trying to call bigger heroes, you call Superman to help, uh, which I've seen players attempt on some occasions to sure. try to get you know a big gun in there, like you know, force a team up uh, and a Deus Machina. You get Superman's answering machine, that kind of stuff. So yeah. even the hints that it gives you as to what you could do are you usually will are, are jokes. But And sometimes I think I want to pull that joke. I wish they'd call Superman and I'd do the answering machine thing, you know. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Second act? So unfortunately, because of the way time works, Ambush Bug creates more than one timeline. The DC Universe screams in agony, literally, in this. Multiple place continuums were bad enough. Multiple time continuums really screw things up. So the Phantom Stranger enters the story at this point and starts the players on a series of investigations that leads them to a Dark Knight at the Yaha factory, the Heroes Corner ambush bug on top of a large tank of Yaha. This is like this is you who basically Absolutely in the comics. Absolutely, is you yeah. yeah, it's you who. I don't know why they had to change it, but it's it's normally it's you. It's you who in the fan mag at one point. Oh, really? I didn't even catch that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they missed one. It's to avoid a lawsuit, but also there's some irony. <laughs>
0: there's some irony in that. You know, back then it was a drink 14-year-olds drank, and then, you know, 30 years later, it's a drink synonymous with hackers, so I think that's kind of funny. Uh,
1: And he's hacked the universe. That's exactly right. Uh, And one of the changes, Yaha is the post-crisis Yuhu. Okay, so, uh, (laughs) uh, amid searchlights, water, gun, fire, and the bug shouts of, anyway, ma made it top of the world, ma, ambush bug leaves the game. The bug then shows up in a room full of gamers and is glad to see that he's out of the adventure. He finds out that the transfer to the real world wasn't complete, his face is still two-dimensional, and in the hope of saving face, he pops back into the game. So this is the point where, at the end of this big section, Ambush Bug shows up at your table. Literally. So for this purpose, the, uh, the back cover of the module has a mask you can cut out. Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I know it's just, it's just gorgeous. You'd have to go get it color copied or something. It's just too pretty. There's like cut cutout uh, antenna and all that. So the, the game master would put it on his face at that point. Duck behind the game master screen. Pop back in your ambush bug. So you're playing ambush bug in the room. Ambush bug tries to eat. Uh, what you should have snacks on the table for this purpose. So he tries to eat, but he hits the his face. You know, you hit the mask. Realizes he's two dimensional, he can't eat, he's not really there. He realizes it's not even his own body, and you know, he it's very, very metatextual at that point. And then he pops back into the game and disappears inside the module. That is such a brilliant
0: idea. Again, given that he breaks the fourth wall constantly, he leaves the comics to go to the DC offices all the time, to have him jump out of the role-playing game into reality with the players is freaking brilliant. It's hysterical. It's clever. A good GM could pull it off. Uh, you, you do get some interaction time with the players. It's not immediately shove the chips and leave. You get some interaction with the players. It's fun. The script in there is funny. It genuinely made me laugh. Sadly, I picture you being the one wearing the mask, not just some random person, but actually Siskoid. So that's mm-hmm. funny to me. Uh,
1: it, it's a great idea. I mean, this whole section is very meta. Even the characters at that point are in that middle ground where uh it, they're, they're not exactly in the DC universe anymore because i love there's there's like this like dead end uh, encounter in here where if the heroes don't do the thing that they should do uh which is go with the phantom stranger to do the mission mm-hmm. they meet johnny dc who is the continuity cop and uh, from the comics and uh she sort of forces them to do the thing because when the phantom stranger shows up you damn well go on the adventure. So this this little encounter, I wish would happen no matter what. <laughs> you know, it's the thing where it's the only place Johnny D C a- appears. So I, I sort of wander in there.
0: Well, a lot of people might not, might not know who Johnny D C is. Johnny D C is basically the D C bullet with feet in a, like a stick figure feet and hands and face. And um, she used to appear in a lot of house ads for D C Comics in like the sixties. And then ambush bug sort of stole her for his comics to label her as the continuity cop. She literally goes around enforcing continuity. Uh, Funny shtick, I I don't know that she's ever gone anywhere outside of Ambushbug.
1: Even in the 60s, the character was male, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Oh, I don't remember. I think so. I think I've never even seen the Johnny DC mascot, you know, in in actual comics other than as male. I I, I wouldn't, I don't remember. Okay. One of the things that's funny to me is the whole
0: idea about Ambushbug leaving the game, right? That happens at the end of, if I remember right, chapter 12. Well, the whole segment about where he appears is actually chapter four of the module. So as you're reading in this page by page, you get to a chapter that you can't even do anything with until later in the game. It's going to be a place where he hides. Yeah, so he's actually going back in time and hiding in this previous chapter in the, in the book, which is just brilliantly written. Did the Crypt of Comics happen during this? Yeah, so the Phantom Stranger brings you to the Crypt of Comics. That's right, that's right, okay. Yeah, the Crypt of Comics is the, is the, is the most amazing comic book store in the history of the world, they they rattle off all these different things like all, Chris Franklin would would love this. They have in stock all the Aurora model kits that you've always been looking for. You know they've got all the comics you've ever wanted, all for five dollars or less. You know things like that. It's supposed to be this wonderful dream of a comic book store, which cracks me up. And uh, the, the, and it's run by what is it, Dead Boy and um, Kid Specter, who are two sidekicks. Of dead characters, because Spectre and Deadman are both dead, that apparently the DC Universe were so uh, offended by the humor involved with two dead little kids that they kicked them out of the DC Universe. Which is a brilliant, brilliantly funny gag.
1: And if you look at the stats on all, all these characters, uh, this is where it gets really loopy. <laughs> 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 I gotta say, because the Phantom Stranger himself is all asterisks. It all says see below for everything. And then when you get to see below, it says the Phantom Stranger doesn't go for any of that stuff. It's like, yes, yes, yes. We, we're not statting the Phantom Stranger here. And then you've got, like, Kid Specter has enormous stats, impossible stats, and has all the powers and all the skills and all at maximum power... And then you'll have jokes like, wealth, what he needs, plus cigarette money, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, dead boy is just like dead man, more or less. And, uh, you know, Johnny DC has her reality check at pretty high. And, you know, even the stats in this have jokes to them, of course. What else in here? Uh, well, okay. During the investigations, where do they go? Everywhere they go, they have a chance of meeting this ambush bug squadron thing. This is what happens at the comic book shop. That's intriguing, and that's supposed to send them on their mission, really. They talk to the clerks, and at some point, they see some comics in the long boxes start to flash. And when they go to see what comics are flashing, it's their own comics, the heroes. These are all comics where their origin is told, and their origin has been changed. By Ambushbug.
0: It's it's lacking the word, but basically Ambushbug is retconning their origins.
1: And making it so he saved them, or he helped them, it, or, he, or whatever. He, he interfered with their origins. And in that timeline, they all became the Ambushbug Squadron instead of whatever team you're actually playing with. And they're dressing in the green uh, bug suits. And they've got like these new weaknesses that your heroes can exploit later, because obviously they'll have to fight them at some point. Uh, but in these encounters, they're not necessarily fighting unless they're looking for a fight, uh, but they're interacting with themselves in that other timeline. So that's an interesting thing. And then they'll go to, uh, there are different places you can go during these investigations. There's, of course, uh, Ambushbug's office, if you haven't already been there. And then there's, uh, let me see.
0: While you're looking that up, I want to talk about the Ambushbug squadron for just a second.
1: So yeah, I mean, put this in
0: perspective. If Siskoid's playing a character called Canadian Bacon what happens is the character he's going to end up battling is Canadian Bacon with a slightly different origin. So he is fighting himself. That's how the players get to battle their own characters, which is interesting. Now, I have a question for you. It does say... That these alternate versions, the Ambush Bug Squadron versions of Canadian Bacon, let's say, uh, has two thirds of the hero points. Now, that's not sitting with me well, because first of all, the, the people in these modules have an insane amount of hero points as it is. Some of these people have 120 hero points, and I'm like, if you look at the other stats, you know, Flash has 50, so how the heck does, you know, Ambush bug have 120 or whatever? So are they talking about the actual number of hero points? they have available to them in the adventure? Or is it more like the amount of points you use to build the character? Like you have to build a scaled down version of the character. Which one do you think it is?
1: I think it's supposed to be the hero points you can manipulate the game with. Oh. Yeah. They would have said built on X number of points. Okay. Instead. Because I don't think you'd have to... I think that's a lot of work. I having guess... To, to redo the characters. I guess we were really stingy when we built our characters. Because like... Spending hero points was wasn't all that frequent. I mean, it was like a big deal. I we we used uh, hero points uh, quite a bit. I think a lot of people keep the hero points so they they can improve the character by the end of the game. Yeah. In the second edition, you had perhaps even more opportunities to do so because you could use uh, hero points to just change the environment, like make it so there's a beaker of acid on this counter Mm. so that green arrow can throw it in somebody's face. (gasps) Um, He
0: created Two-Face.
1: That's the example to actually give, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, in a lot of my games, I use a hero point mechanic, whether you're meant to or not but you know like the doctor who game has it the uh savage worlds has bennies there are a lot of games with that kind of mechanic and the more players get used to playing with cinematic rules where they, they can sort of uh not only boost their stats but change the world a little bit uh the more they they want to spend them yeah and the more you reward them anyway at the end so it always feels like it's replenishing I thought it'd be a worthy discussion simply because of the name of our show a lot of my players wanted to keep their hero points in case and would keep them to the climax because in the climax when you really don't want to fail when you don't want to fail that bomb disarming right <laughs> role, then you use hero points then you're jacking your hero points unnecessarily, but you were stingy up front, sure you know you don't use it against you know with that that first encounter where you, you stop a you know, a bank heist. Right. You you use it later when Brainiac is going to blow up the world. So right. isn't that how every role playing game goes though? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And whatever you've saved at the end, well, maybe you can improve your character where you kept failing all the time. You know, make a you know long term investment. So uh, so here are the, the places where you can go. Like I said, ambush bugs office was one of them. The Daily Planet is one of them. There's a Perry White joke in there that I love. That if if any of them calls him chief. He gets really angry and you know throws you out of the the newspaper office. <laughs> the Fan Man Magazine. You can go there as well. You can go to DC Comics itself, where if you cause too much trouble, uh, they threaten you with canceling your uh, your comic book, no matter your series, no matter how well it's doing. I hear Canadian Bacon's a top seller. Uh, Ernie's House of Really Cheap Toys is another place you can go, and that's where you'll you'll find an army of baby cheeks, oh. uh, of cheeks dolls that have paltry stats, because they're inanimate objects, and that get destroyed almost accidentally. This is what causes Ambushbug to go mad. It can be, anyways. Mm. He can pop out of the module because of he sees Baby Cheeks dead. <laughs> and then you can go to Mayfair games as well. So you're interacting with the makers of the game, the makers of the characters. That's a very Ambushbug thing. And then there's that weird, if he doesn't pop out of the module after Cheeks dies... Then you go to the Yaha factory, and us call the yoo factory. You know, this is one of those encounters that is, just like in the Ambush Bug comic, this random joke, this random parody of a thing. Because you're supposed to reenact the end of uh, White Heat. The movie. The movie with James Cagney. And basically, Ambush Bug is playing the Cagney character, and you're using toys, and it's all in black and white. You know, it's the movie. Except I watched White Heat today uh, in preparation for this to see just how much of it was on there. Not that much. I mean, I could have watched like the, f- the last five minutes and <laughs> okay, <laughs> I would have I would have gotten what I needed. And the script isn't actually the lines from the movie or anything. It's not. It's not even really a parody, except for the fact that they call him cootie. There's not a big link to White Heat in here. I don't feel like my time was wasted because you know it's a classic film that I wanted to see, and it was on my DVR. It's been on my DVR for a while, so I was going to watch it. all, You know, at some point. I think somebody just wanted an Ambush Bug in a zoot suit. Yeah, it's just a very strange moment. But you know, that's the kind of thing that happens in Ambush Bug. Is suddenly, he's a member of the Amber Butane Corps, and <laughs> uh, suddenly he's a barbarian, and he suddenly there's a page out of uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, and it's just you know just like a random shift in tone. This happens a lot in Ambush Bug. So I guess this is supposed to be that moment. Yeah, I think so. I'm not enamored with it, but it it is here, so um.
0: <laughs> it's cute. It's cute, and it, I think I think you, I think you went above and beyond in the research, which may be why you feel like it didn't pay off as well. Because <laughs> it's more of a just you know, it's a funny gag. If you're like, oh yeah, it's kind of like an old gangster movie. Cool. If you leave it at that, it's fine.
1: And you're using toy
0: guns, and I mean, it's it's supposed to be amusing. Oh, is this the one where you're supposed to get out the dart guns and shoot each other? Yeah, Yo, okay, yeah. 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 That's right. They even talk about that. They say if you don't break out the dart guns
1: and shoot each other, it gets kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So I mean, you could all play act that, just like you know, with fingers or. But uh, yeah, it, it's another moment where what's happening in the game uh, and what's happening, you know, inside the world and outside the world, where you know, <laughs> just gets get muddled, and that's part of the fun of of this this thing. And you know, the characters get. The, the the players get scripts for this, and everything. Let's get to the climax. So how do you get out of all this, right? So the heroes do find ambush bug somehow in uh, encounter four, a specially made haven. For Ambush Bug, it complete with thousands of TV sets, each showing a different episode of every TV show ever produced, and enough cans of Yoo-Hoo to last 47 lifetimes. Encounter 4 is totally disconnected from the rest of the adventure, and can only be reached by leaving the game and re-entering it again at the point where the player left off. As disembodied word balloons... The players must now convince Ambushbug to leave Encounter 4 and come back with them to again battle Luthor and set everything straight. So filled with conviction of duty and realization that with great power comes great responsibility, Ambushbug goes back alone, leaving the players in Encounter 4 with no way to go back to the correct time. Almost no way. The heroes can try to build a time machine, but what with the way the gadgetry rules are It would be simpler just to start another universe all over again. (laughs) (laughs) There is another option. The heroes can hit the pavement selling copies of Oat, the family newspaper. If they do this, they can get a time machine as one of the valuable prizes uh, for selling 4 million copies uh, is a time machine. Or if they want, they can save up for a while and try to get the uh, 20-inch projection TV. Although, that is not advised. There is only one problem with this. The duplicate heroes that were created when Ambushbug was fooling with time don't want to find themselves in a sudden position of non-existence. So these duplicate heroes will do their best to stop the real heroes from selling their copies of Oat. After a series of perfectly matched battles, the heroes go back, renew the fight with Luthor, and hopefully stop both Ambushbug and Luthor from getting the power to control time. <laughs> hopefully. So, uh, in this... You know The big part of this is the sort of paranoia RPG, if you've ever played that, thing where the heroes will go to the House of Gadgetry, which is obviously a House of Mystery or House of Secrets mm-hmm. uh, ripoff, and then try to, to make a time machine. If you've ever tried to make any gadget in uh, DC Heroes, you'll know that you know the more complicated the machine is, the more powerful the machine is, the more impossible it is to build, is essentially the thing here.
0: It's a hilarious joke. Because the, the minute I even saw something called the House of Gadgetry or, or, you know, gonna try and make you do a gadget, I just bust out laughing because it is hysterically funny. Because yeah, everyone knows that the gadgetry, not, in, and not just in this game, but in a lot of games, the gadgetry rules are just a pain
1: in the butt. Yeah, I would, actually, I would maybe, um, I, I would go further. If I were to run this, because I've run Paranoia so often, uh, and there's always bureaucratic red tape, things are always impossible, the gadgetry is always trying to kill you, uh, and so this felt like a bureaucratic kind of impediment where, you know, you've got a character, you've got your Cain and Abel kind of uh, house of gadgetry narrator who tells them what they have to do, and the more he talks, the less feasible it seems and the more costly it would seem to be. And you can still try to do it, and then you could, you know, probably fail. Although, if you do do it, well, good for you, but... But I would, I would like say, well, uh, you, well, you don't have to use this. And then I would drop the GURPS vehicles book on the table because those rules are so crunchy. To me, that's a math textbook. <laughs> GURPS vehicles, uh, second edition of the GURPS vehicles book. Uh, just impossible. And when I was reading this, I was like, oh yeah, but you know, it sounds like a Gerp's discussion. You know, it sounds like a GURPS vehicles. Uh, thing where it's even less probable that you will succeed, and not just not because it's going to cost you too many points, which is the problem here, but because it's <laughs> you need an engineering degree just to understand the book. <laughs> well, I think they did. I think they did a pretty good job in the
0: script, making it obvious that this is not the path you really want to go. Uh, no, I think they really made
1: that pretty obvious. I will say that um, there, the things here that I enjoyed were that well, first, hopefully the heroes know how to get to Encounter 4. Because even before the House of Gadgetry, they have to get to Encounter 4. This may be problematic in the game. And this may be a good place to put Johnny DC showing up, to to point the finger where they should go. Because the idea is that the heroes must, the the players must decide that they leave the game. You know, they have to leave the game and re-enter it. And hopefully this has all been metatextual enough, crazy enough, outside the box enough that they can leap to that conclusion as well. And then when they're turned into word balloons and you can give them balloons or you can just give them cutouts of word balloons and markers, there are a lot of really neat ideas in the module as to how they could get uh, ambush bugs' attention, but I don't know that players will will get there,
0: you know. I think that might need a little bit more description, because in the recap, it made sense to you and I, but yeah, what he's saying is, you know, again, Ambushbug has left the game, so he's no longer in the module, he's in this other universe, and the players literally can't communicate with Ambushbug directly. They can only communicate by writing it down and showing it to the GM, and then the GM has a conversation back and forth. The GM will speak out loud. The players will have to speak via writing it out, which is a pretty clever, funny idea. Nowadays, you'd probably just do it with little handheld whiteboards. would would Mm -hmm. probably be the easiest way to do it. But I think that's... Brilliant. So I think the entire module is freaking hysterical, and I think it would produce a ton of laughs around the table. I really, really do. Things like, again, this whiteboard and things like that are great, great ideas. The problem with this adventure, it, to me, is it's, and I don't know if this is a universal term or just something my folks use, a story ram, which is basically you're being rammed into following the story in a very specific path. Railroading. Yeah, or railroading. There you go. It's a predetermined path to get to the module. And if you don't pick up on one of these predetermined paths, you just kind of sit there spinning your wheels. You're stuck. And some of the paths are even really contingent on saying the right words. Like, you have to say, I quit the game. The player has to say I quit the game or the character has to say it in order to then go to that encounter 4 we keep talking about. Or the whole thing about building the time machine, whether building the time machine or selling the oat, which is obviously like Grit Magazine from Richie Rich and all that they used to sell. Um, mm-hmm. That's another one where it's sort of like it's not necessarily intuitive how you're going to get there. So it's it, if you have a, an inexperienced GM who just follows the letter of the law of the module... I think they might have a real hard time with a lot of this. You really need an experienced GM who can be more flexible and can make it work. They certainly could. But I think, again, if you follow the module as it's laid out, it might frustrate the players.
1: I mean, there's always like notes in the troubleshooting section uh, that tell you how to handle players not doing necessarily the right thing. Okay. To be fair, most of the troubleshooting section is just for cracking jokes in this book. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And there's one in particular that I would want to use is if you try to strong arm the, (laughs) because selling oat is you're out in this, and it's in the fan mag, fan mag, as an ad for selling oat, and that's where a time machine is mentioned. So hopefully, players remember. That Or they they, they peruse it and they find Time Machine in there and we could do this. We can, you know, I'm Batman, I can buy all the oat. And it could be done fairly simply, perhaps. I mean, it's just a few rolls and it's done, really. But the idea is that if uh, you try to steal the Time Machine or, you know, get the Time Machine from the guy at the warehouse, you cause a nuclear war. (laughs) But it's just bashing combat, so... Nobody dies right. and everybody gets better. <laughs> so a lot of the failures in this have a funny result that makes it like, uh, oh, maybe we should just do it regardless. Right. You know? <laughs> Make it happen because that joke is so good and makes you realize that the game itself is a send up of the game you regularly play. Right. You know, the bashing combat, for example. That's cool. I think the enjoyment in this is that yes, there is, you have to do this and do this and do this, which is pretty much every module sort of has this. That,
0: I, I was going to say that, you know, modules from the eighties especially were very railroad-like,
1: but it's how you get there. So, you know, the, the whiteboard thing you were saying. So if you're using bubbles, but you're not using bubbles, you're using speech bubbles. And some of the examples that they give that would get, you know, make ambush bug react is actually things you're doing physically with the balloon, putting the balloon in his who can or poking him with the, the, the pointer that you know the points at your mouth or putting it above his head so that he thinks he said it <laughs> if the players are flexible enough you know to realize that they can do it's just our players going to realize that they can do this it's a great idea if a player ever thought of it right now I, I don't think that a player will necessarily think of this but a player may think of something you didn't think of You can guarantee they'll think of something you didn't think of. That's how it works with (laughs) role-playing. Pretty much. However they get the attention of of Ambushbug, it's going to be something interesting because you're only going to get his attention if it's interesting enough. And that should be entertaining in and of itself to to find a way out of the puzzle. There's more than one way. If you're selling out, players could could have like these big marketing campaigns and have these big ideas about how they're going to sell as much out as they can in as little time as they can. And that's going to be entertaining for them to think up, for them to role play. And yes, this is the out, but it's not necessarily the the way they go about it, I think, is open-ended. I, I get your point, that they've got to figure out a thing, and then once they've figured it out, but there's the figuring out, maybe a problem at the table. And I, I've seen this, where a player gets stuck with a puzzle. But again, a
0: good GM is going to figure out a way around that. So, and, and I guess where I was just coming from with with an adventure that's this wacky, this off the wall, uh, railroading isn't necessarily the best way to go. You know, it's a lot more open ended might have worked better. But again, this is the style of the time. You know, st- the whole storytelling idea for RPGs was not even around, you know, back then. The idea of the players affecting the environment was just starting to come into play with, with role-playing games, where nowadays it's, you know, expected that the players help create the environment. So it's, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm critiquing something unfairly, is what I'm doing, that just stuck out to me as I was reading it going, my players would have never figured out the way to get out of this encounter.
1: <laughs> Today, I am much more open-ended about adventure creation. You know, my own adventure design will be very open-ended sometimes and have what we read, the setup, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what I would have prepared. Sure. And then the rest, let's let's go mad and go anywhere, and I think some games are well adapted to that. And other games where you need to have stat block stats, uh, you know, at the ready, maybe you want more preparation. It, it depends on the game its mechanics, its style.
0: And the players, too. I mean, you play with a bunch of improv
1: players, so you're, you're used to playing with incredibly creative on-the-fly people, too. And you have to go with it. I hate being told, uh, you can't step off this map because it's white. It's white nothingness on this side. Oh, jeez. Stay on the path. Or whatever you try to do, it's impossible and frustratingly so, not entertainingly so. I think there's a way to make... An impossibility entertaining and in this book does that in, in that if you go way off the path you get an encounter with johnny dc with phantom stranger with you know you get uh mayfair's editors sh- show up you could do stuff like that where somebody would go and scold the heroes about straying off the path and not being in with the tone or with the you know it's not true to comics that that the heroes would abandon a story and you would get told. So there's an entertain. You can do it entertainingly to keep them inside the adventure. But at the same time, the adventure is so sprawling, you could go all sorts of places. And if you don't want to be there for hours and hours and hours while they try to find out about the selling Oat or finding a time machine, at some point, Rip Hunter shows up. You know, you're playing with the whole DC universe in this thing and uh, have Rip Hunter show up and make... Time travel jokes, and bam, they got his machine. We've gotten
0: pretty deep in the weeds of this, in, in, in the whole phil- <laughs> philosophy of being a game master, really. Because, I mean, everything we just said applies to almost any game, truthfully.
3: Ugh, still here. Can I at least find my way into a podcast that comes out more regularly? Those Ohatmu or not girls look like a fun group. Or maybe I can borrow some fishnets and hide out with Black Canary and Zatanna. Ambush Bug, what are you doing here? Leave these poor people alone. Johnny dc the continuity cup i said GIT! you left baby cheeks without supervision and he's wandered off into a rebirth book no telling what he could do with the watchmen okay okay don't get your mint cover all bent out of shape
1: well okay let's talk about how do we, we would use this because neither of us have played it so if we were to play it what kind of characters would you use because it says it does say 500 to a thousand points characters right. on, the, on the cover. Which is, if you go through the the, the previous modules,
0: the 500 to 1,000 sort of equates to like a New Teen Titans level characters or Outsiders characters. It's kind of what they, and, and most of the adventures were written for that sort of junior level team, you know, getting started. They didn't want you to necessarily start off with, you know, Justice League level characters. Because so, yeah, 500 to 1,000 is New Teen Titans. 4,000 is like Justice League, which is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. So e- even Suicide Squad and, and Infinity Inc. rated higher than 500 to 1,000 points. So if I had to run this you know I, I would probably suggest people do original characters That's probably the most fun I've always had the most fun with original characters anyway uh, it gives you a lot more room to do what you want but if, if they were insistent on using established characters, I would probably go with like a like a, like, like a forgotten heroes kind of concept. You know, like, you remember the Forgotten Heroes? I don't necessarily mean it has to be, like, Animal Man and Dolphin. Ooh, let's just take a moment. Dolphin. Ugh. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have to be Animal <laughs> Man and Dolphin and Cave Carson and all them. But some collection of misfit characters, you know, mismatched that, from the past of DC that might work well. You know, something like um, the Creeper. You know, the creeper would work really well in an ambush bug story. Maybe one of the metal men, just because the, the quirkiness, you know, I always default to Mercury. I think he's a great character to use in other places. Uh, Metamorpho, you know, all of those have a bit of a humorous aspect to them, a quirkiness they don't quite fit. I think that would work well in this sort of setting. The oddballs, you know, that, that would work well in the ambush bug universe. You would, and for the purposes of the adventure, you'd have to say they're popular enough to have their
1: own comic, obviously. Their team has a book, at least. Yes. Uh, I would, I would have been fine with your own heroes. Trademark. <laughs> yeah, you know, since I've always played with groups that were in that power level, you know, that's the power level they they suggest you start at. So, um, but if I were to run it with DC characters, I agree that oddballs are always fun, but I don't think they're necessary here because I think there's a lot of humor to be had just by... Taking the piss out of serious heroes. Okay. Obviously, ambush bug was always taking the piss out of uh, Superman. So you're thinking Rorschach? And well, you know, Rorschach in an adventure like this would be something. But but <laughs> yeah, something. I mean, but I think any heroes would do. I don't think you need to have and you know, humorous kind of comedy heroes. You know, the ones I would pick was probably you know the outsiders because I'd love to make fun of them. <laughs> If if Rob, if Rob has made it through the first two hours of this podcast, he really enjoyed that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could even have Batman in there uh, if that were the case, right? Well, I mean, the outsiders are just quirky enough, and uh, I'd want to make fun of them, and some of them take themselves very seriously. You could see Katana being really... Uh, impatient with the whole adventure, uh, you know. So, d- there's a way to do this. Hey, you, you could do it with the Doom Patrol. I mean, Ambush
0: Bug was a member of the Doom Patrol for a while there. They would be a good one, because, I mean, think about Morrison's run on that book and the various iterations over the years that, uh, they, they've, they've dealt with some insanity too.
1: Yeah, if you were to put Animal Man in here, he already has Reality Check. Uh, Because of Morrison.
0: Animal Man!
1: So any last thoughts on uh, the module before we uh, move on? It was
0: an absolute hoot. I absolutely loved reading it. Again, I do think there's some challenges with playing it at the table. But you know what? Now that we've sat here and broke it down, I think I could absolutely do it. I think it would be... Uh, who The people would just, uh, again, the amount of laughs that would happen at the table that night, this would be a, a role-playing session that would go into infamy. The kind of one that you sit around and tell other people about years later, like, oh, there was this one night where we did all this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, people would genuinely laugh heartily at it. Even if they're not all that familiar with Ambush Book, you can very quickly... Again, the shortcut description of Deadpool and the tick mixed, you're there. You, you got the understanding
1: of it the, the fact that Deadpool is now in the public consciousness makes this more playable than yeah. when I was playing DC Heroes regularly, because I think that's what stopped me mm. from actually... Doing it is that the people I played with were not necessarily big comic book fans, or certainly not '80s fans, and uh, that made the the prospect of doing this. Well, I, I could do this, but then would they get it? Would they find it funny? Would they appreciate it because they don't know who Ambushbug is? And I'm not, am I lending out parts of my collection just to make sure? You know, <laughs> maybe I overthought it. If one of your players could play a Green Lantern brick. I think they could have handled this thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably.
2: <laughs>
1: probably for good. But, you know, I never played it and it's a big regret maybe in my life. It uh, doesn't mean it won't ever happen prospects are not good at this point but you know what this is just like the atlas that we covered in like episode two the kind of thing that you could have in your collection and just read and enjoy as a read regardless of the gaming elements absolutely true and and we we say that about all the different adventures i mean i just recently spent
0: some time rereading some justice league international adventures and it, it just feels like it's a lost comic
1: you know, you feel like it's yep. a comic book you missed, and this is a this one's exceptionally well done. Correct tone. It's got Keith Giffen's voice. Yeah, it's it's a great read. Don't ask. It's called. You can find it on eBay and stuff. All right, we'll take a small break, and we'll come back with your feedback from uh, episode six. Stick around.
2: Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and 3 annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit. Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA Cover Month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com, or by subscribing through iTunes. So
1: which is the hottest
2: Marvel character?
1: Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki.
2: Is
0: Wolverine Marvel?
1: What about uh, White Tiger?
0: What about uh, White Tiger?
1: Uh, Doc <laughs> Samson.
0: Who, Doug is who is he? Uh, huh?
1: Star Fox.
3: That's a video game. <laughs>
1: The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. We're back. We're doing feedback for uh, gee, our last episode, which was about Green Ronin's DC Adventures RPG, co-hosted by uh, myself and my good friend Fern. Uh, as Shag took a well-deserved break, although you were there for the feedback section of that episode. As, as I seem to recall, I wasn't even invited is really what happened, but that's fine. Ah, well, then, you know, it happens. Uh, let's <laughs> look at your comments, then. Uh, all of these from FireAndWaterPodcast.com. I'll start with David Gallagher, who says, a Fantastic episode. I sort of want to go out and grab these supplements. I didn't know it was based on the D20 rules, so I'm keen... To dig into this. Thanks again for sharing your campaign stories uh, and your excitement for the DCU. Well, thanks, David. David, also, if you remember,
0: he was on our episode where we did the DC Heroes versus the Marvel face rip system. So, and uh, of course, he's uh, also he's a big time comic book creator and uh, just appeared on a recent episode
1: of JLI podcast. So, awesome. That's true. And I, can, I see here that you know he likes Marvel superheroes and the D twenty uh, games. So, I mean, nobody's perfect. <laughs> There's some good D20 games out there. there are. And in Marvel Superheroes Heroes,
0: it's a fine game. It is a very nice pale imitation of DC Heroes, as we proved. So go back to that episode, folks. Uh, then we heard from Rob Kelly, my podcasting life mate, and part of the Fire and Water podcast network with a number of shows. Rob writes, I was really upset you guys didn't read my feedback from the previous episodes until research revealed I didn't leave any. Oh, well. Uh, not sure I can keep up with the show's increased output, but doing my best. Ha, <laughs> ha. Uh, Because, what, we're uh, five years into it and we're on episode seven? Uh, (laughs) Then he goes on to say, I would be open to participating in some sort of DC-centric Skype game, if that's a thing, or uh, it could just be like high school where I'm excluded from the reindeer games. Uh, Well,
1: Rob, yeah, you might want to remember what high school's like, I'm just saying. (laughs) And David Gallagher also said he'd be interested in such a game. A lot of people have said they'd be interested in playing a Skype game for the show. Uh, so it's it's actually something we're looking into. Awesome. Yeah, how possible is it? So <laughs> we'll be having auditions, so prepare your uh, character sheets. <laughs> <laughs> you have to read your lines. <laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, Sontaran said uh, just bought the complete set of DC Adventures from Green Ronin, found it at a store in Copenhagen at less than it would cost to wait until the next time I was in the States. I guess if you're counting the plane ticket. Uh, having a <laughs> DC Universe campaign going, but was using GURPS, Uh, But hey, the people I game with now know a lot more about the mid-90s DCU than before. So, So he's running a game with the wrong system. <laughs> but uh, Still a DC Heroes game. Awesome. Well, hey, all
0: those systems are good. I, I'm still a big fan of the West End game system. And by the way, Centaurin is also, uh, also. Th- I mean, that's his name on his birth certificate, I'm sure, but his nickname is Adam Ackerman and uh, lives over in Denmark. Awesome. I heard from our buddy Chris Franklin, uh, who is also part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and does a number of shows with his wife. He says, uh, when Shag is unavailable for any reason, we now know we can enlist Fern. Flawless impersonation. Yes. Thank you so very much for that. Uh, the idea of Of a brick as a Green Lantern is so brilliant, I would imagine Alan Moore would
1: be envious of it.
0: Dude, I think you're absolutely right. That's a great point, Chris.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ange says another fun episode. I've seen the DC books, but didn't think about buying them. Now I'm wondering. If the Who's Who books are worth it, they are. Love the poetic names of the powers. Is there a Supergirl page? So of course, yes, there is a Supergirl page and it's the 2000s Linda Lang, Kara Zorrel version, though there is, the Matrix version is mentioned uh, but not stat it up. Uh, he goes on to say, I loved the discussion of the campaigns and different approaches to powers. My group definitely wanted to keep the characters we started with to create a team history. That said, like Fern, I would often want to mix things up. Over the course of our Mayfair gaming, I basically morphed to Wildfire from being a strong guy who could blast things to a very strong character who could shoot weak beams. <laughs> it was clear the team needed a tank, so I tweaked the origin and suit to mix things up Redoing some stats. Lastly, loved Fern's imitation of Shag. <laughs> God. It was terrible. It was, that didn't sound anything like you. I don't know that Fern
0: even knows what I sound like. Has he bothered to listen? <laughs>
1: <laughs> then we heard from my buddy Bradley Null who said, Great episode. Well thank you, Bradley. And Brent Linton says, I recall seeing the beautiful cover for the hero's handbook on the shelves back in the day. Unfortunately, I was in the tail end of a self-imposed moratorium on the purchase of comic books and RPG manuals. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> which only lifted with the advent of the new 52. Great time to get back into comics. Uh, I th- <laughs> I said with sarcasm. Uh, I thought of trying to get a copy of one of the old DC RPGs, but I'm not sure which version I'd prefer. Mayfair, West End, or Green Ronin? I guess I should wait for Shaq's coverage of West End Games' DC Universe before I decide. Oof. Well, ultimately, it, oh, wow. That, I guess it just depends
0: on what kind of player you are. If you love D20-style games, yes, Muse and Masterminds is the way to go. If you love to roll a lot of dice, the West End game system is the way to go. So, and, and then if you just like a really well-built game, the DC Heroes game is the way to go. So it's really, <laughs> really hard. Because all, all the systems, you can get pretty much all the characters statted up some way, somewhere. So you can play in any genre you want. You know, let's say you want to play a game in played set in nineteen eighty seven, or you want to play a game set in nineteen ninety five. Man, playing a game set in nineteen ninety five would be pretty awesome. I'd love that.
1: Anyway, I got distracted. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, you should. Uh, he wants to wait for your coverage of the Western games. So, um, is that in the pipeline at all? It is in the back of my mind. My ideally,
0: what I would love to do. So, for those of you who don't know, I played the West End game system from two thousand one to about two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Very consistently, almost on a weekly basis. I mean, that many years. And we had, wow. I mean, we kind of the adventures. We were up in, I don't know, episode 80 or 90 or something. I mean, just, and that would be like multi-nights would be one adventure. So um, I, I do have an idea in the back of my head. Sort of do what, like what you do with Fern, which is sort of revisit the campaign with my old Game Master. Uh, or my co master, because we would each take turns. And 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 in there, take some time to talk about West End games and tear down the stuff we didn't like and build up the stuff we did like. So, it, it could happen. It could very well happen. I'd like it to happen. Because you get the month off. But anyway, uh, then we heard <laughs> from Matthias McBride, and Matthias wrote, I unfortunately have never been able to actually play any of the superhero role-playing games. I have more experience with the Marvel face-rip system because I was roped into GMing a game or two. I did not GM well, uh, although that is only my opinion. Uh, now, Matthias, I have to tell you, uh, you know, every game master's heart on himself. I am sure your players absolutely thought you were great. Don't ever sell yourself short. Except for the fact that you just showed me that you're truly a DC fan because you misspelled face rip. You put a C where it should be S for strength. So I'm just going to read that as you really being more of a DC guy. So represent. Thank you, Matthias. Uh, and then he goes on to say <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Then he goes on to say finding out uh, about the Green Ronin version, I probably will look into it despite knowing of no chance to play. Dude, I've never had a chance to play the DC system, the the Green Runner
1: one, but the books are awesome. Oh my gosh, they're gorgeous! Again, very readable, and uh, yeah, I, I like it. Face Rip, you know, fa- it's Phaser Rip, sort of it's supposed to be, but Face Rip. It's the, the '90s extreme version of uh, the Marvel superheroes game.
0: <laughs> I, I, I told you that uh, I used to play the V characters, like, you know, the member V, you know, V the Final Battle, all that. I used to play V, but I, we played it in Marvel specifically because the acronym was Face Rip,
3: And oh. I
1: thought that was great because, you know, they would always rip off the uh, the, the, the rubber faces. <laughs> uh, Major Anarchy says, uh, Siskoid, you mentioned something about uploading pictures for the DCRPG Heroes and Villains book volumes one and two. I used to do that too. Grant, you, I only uploaded a handful of pics. I know somebody who used to upload a ton of pics. Was that you? Uh, no, I, I I didn't suggest any images at all to Green Ronin while they were doing that. The most I did on their boards is set up a version of Ambushbug and share it with the community there, which is not at all anything like what they actually published uh, with Ambushbug. That wasn't me. Shag, you, you yourself commented on the episode. I did, I did. What did you say? I was far more complimentary in hindsight
0: than I should have been, but it says, uh, uh-huh. really enjoyed Siskoid and Fern's coverage and campaign discussions. Such fun ideas for adventures. Would love to hear more. Just want to add that the Green Ronin books are absolutely gorgeous. I own all of them and sometimes just flip through them and drool. They're so beautiful and as Ciscoid mentions, they make a fantastic snapshot of the DC Universe just before Flashpoint, or as Siskoid always calls it Flushpoint. I also mentioned, as I recall, the Robin entry is actually Tim Drake. Now, I, I pointed this that out here simply because you know, at this point in DC history, it really was Damien, but the fact that they put it as Tim Drake, uh, that always gave me hope that Damien would give the title back to Tim, the best Robin. <laughs> and it went on to say, I did play the Mutants and Masterminds game with original characters for a few years. At first, I was resistant to the Mutants and Mastermind system, which was essentially the same as what the DC system was here that you guys talked about, but eventually came around. I really enjoy the way they construct powers in Mutants and Mastermind and the way they build characters. Now, the only drawback was levels, and in Cisco, I I'd be interested to know from you if this also translated to the DC version. Uh, I never liked levels in Muse of Mastermind because if everyone's at a level 10, what you usually end up with is a bunch of characters they can all do 10 damage just with different powers. Uh, and it's not because people are min-maxing, but because they're trying to make their character as powerful as they can in that one area that they focus on. So. And then I did say, of course, Fern, your impersonation of me was
1: uncanny. <laughs> yeah, no, you could have powers that were much higher, much lower uh, the way you package them. Okay, is right. the thing. So no, it it didn't feel like that, anyways. Because yeah, we always ran into that again. We started level ten, and you know, I might have
0: a blasting, and someone else would be punching, and someone else would have a I don't know uh, a sharp intellect or something. But pretty much, we're all just rolling ten. We all were rolling the same stupid number because you know we all put you know
1: either as much as we could or, or reasonably what we could into a certain trait. Now I'm not sure how the that necessarily relates. I I ditched a, <laughs> when when we played DC Adventures, we ditched a lot of it in favor of actual DCH. I, I just merged the games, right? Oh, you mean the Mayfair one? You merged it with Mayfair? I merged Mayfair, DC Adventures, and uh, Doctor Who oh. <laughs> together. Okay. Cubicle 7, Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just picked everything I needed to from each of those games in the, that last campaign. So I did play the straight DC Adventures, Mut- Mut- Mutants and Masterminds version, mm-hmm. for a couple of sessions. And that's what I said I didn't like. Ah, okay. I just couldn't get my head wrapped around the mechanics of it. Too well. Okay. You know, it displeased me. So when I, when we picked it up again to play a full campaign, that's when I sort of ditched what I didn't like. And so I, I'm not sure I can answer your question truthfully, but it didn't feel like that. Okay. At any point. Uh, let's, oh, Frank, Diablo Frank says, uh, I still listen to this show at two times speed, admittedly, especially as it drifts further away from reference materials and my very limited RPG experience, but I want the course credit. <laughs> He's just auditing the course. That's very kind of you, Frank. <laughs> That's fine.
0: I listen to everything at twice the speed. I do that as well now. There are certain podcasters I can't do that with
1: because they just talk a little too fast. Frank is one of them, I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> I have to slow him down.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, and sometimes you just want the rich auditory experience. Uh, you know, a Zoom you can worry.
0: I was just going to say, Professor Zooms are, are meant to be listened at regular speed or maybe just a little bit up just because they're it, it's a work of art, that thing.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. So, But you know, if it's just people talk, talk radio Um, twice the speed is fine you hear everything you get everything uh, and I I don't feel bad that somebody would listen to me at twice the speed anything with Ryan Daly just immediately goes to two times speed I'm wondering if I could try three times speed
0: at some point with him but anyway (laughs) he's not listening to this anyway all right folks that's gonna do it for the feedback however we want to hear your feedback on this ambush bug special, this really, really deep, 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 deep dive, we want to hear your thoughts on it. So the best way to do that is go out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash hero points. Leave your comments there and we will read them on the next episode in 2020. Um, you can also <laughs> go to our Facebook page, which is Fire and Water Podcast Network. We have a Twitter account, which is, you know, FW Podcasts. And of course, our email is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. So, and, uh, and you can find Ciscoid and I individually in a lot of different places on the Internet, uh, which we don't need to bother you with right now. Just stop by, let us know what you thought of this, and let us know what um, maybe what source books or modules or whatever you're interested in hearing us talk about at some point.
1: We also need to thank Mike Peacock and Amelie Montour for Celebrity Voices. Okay. Well, with that, folks, I think the only thing left to say, Ciscoid, is let's Let's
3: roll. roll.